Well, this morning we are <clears throat> continuing our series in Ecclesiastes. And I just want you to be aware in this passage that we'll be studying this morning, the preacher is for a time going to take us to a very dark place. Um, and I want you to be ready for that. It is because he's going to be talking quite substantially about death and death and what it means to us. Eventually we'll make our way out of that, but I want you to be prepared that that's where this passage is going. And he'll be, ma- he'll be taking us to a place where he wants us to learn that death is the very thing that can help us enjoy life. So that is where we're going to turn with me, if you would, to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. And we'll be reading the last two verses of chapter 8 and then the first 12 verses of chapter 9. Verse 16, chapter 8. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep. Been there. Then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find out. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner, and he who swears as is he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion." For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol 
to which you are going. Again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. Father, your word is true. Your word is infallible. Your word is life-giving. Your word is challenging. But your word is brings life to us. And this morning we ask that through your word you would speak to each person here that we might draw near to you, that we might know you better, that we might experience fresh hope this morning. Lord, use your word in such a manner to transform us so that we might do what we have been created to do which is to glorify your name through Christ our Lord. It's in his name we pray. Amen. For eight chapters, the preacher has observed, as you have read with me over these past months, life under the sun. He has embarked on a lifelong quest to discover the meaning of life and repeatedly coming to the conclusion that In all of life, it is vanity. 35 times he uses that word vanity to express his view of life. It is meaningless, the word vanity. It's temporary, passing without substance. Like Life is like a breath or a vapor. David uses the same word in Psalm 39 where he describes the brevity of life. And vanity is, is, it's not a word we use today to describe how we feel about the struggles that we face in life. But, but I've heard similar things. What's the point of my suffering? What's the point of my pain? What's the point of trying to live a godly life? What's the point of praying? God is going to do what he wants anyway. All is vanity. Nothing is going to last. Well, today's passage brings us to, in a sense, the climax of these past eight chapters to the point to talk about really the end of all things, which is death, and that life can't be figured out, God can't be figured out, and since it all ends in death, it is confusing. It is confusing to the preacher. What the preacher sees in life just very often does not make sense to him. There was a priest that was invited to a party at the home of a church member. And naturally, he was properly dressed and wearing his priest's collar. A little boy kept staring at him the entire evening. Finally, the priest asked the little boy, what was he staring at? The little boy pointed to the priest's neck. When the priest realized what the boy was pointing at, he asked him, do you know why I'm wearing this collar? The boy nodded his head and replied, yes. It kills ticks and fleas for up to three months. (laughs) Like the little boy, the preacher is trying to make sense of what he observes. What he observes about God and what he observes about life and what he observes about all that he experiences and what he sees often just doesn't compute. It doesn't make sense to him. He can't 
tie it all together. And no matter how much he wants to understand, even wisdom does not help him unravel the, the, the mysteries that he's facing. He says, when I applied my heart to know wisdom in 8.16 and to see the business that is done under earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep. And, and I mean, I'm, I think he's talking about insomnia there. The, day, the daily struggles, the, the stress of life, just it causes him to lose sleep. He goes on, then I saw all the work of God. So he attributes to God. He's not an atheist. He attributes to God all that he sees going on. But this is what he also discovers. That man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. In other words, I don't understand why God does what he does. Man cannot find out. And then he goes on to say, however much man may toil in seeking, no matter how hard he tries to bring it all together, he goes on to say he will not find it out. And just to make sure we understand how difficult it is to figure out the sovereignty of God in our lives at times, even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. He has, he is trying to unravel the plans of God and he cannot do it. And as he is often asked throughout his, his first, these first eight chapters, why, why do good why do bad things happen to good people and why do good things happen to bad people? Which we see in our society. And, and what's the point since everyone dies anyway? Because at the end of it, we're all going to die and no one can understand what God is doing, not even those with wisdom. So in 9.1, he goes on to say, but all this, so he's come to this conclusion, all this I laid to heart. And his conclusion is, everything is in the hand of God. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all. How the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. Everything is in the hand of God. Everything. And no one, not even the wise, know if the bad things happen to them, as he says here, whether it is love or hate. In other words, what he's, what he's saying is, do bad circumstances happen because God is testing them or punishing them? That's what he's asking. Is God testing me in this moment or is he punishing me? And many times as Christians, I think we can often go down the punishing road. Well, I just... I got angry at my wife today. I, you know, I sinned in this particular way. Whatever happens to me, it must be as a result because God is punishing me. And the preacher is saying here, no, we don't really know. We don't know. But what we do know is God punishes the wicked. But the righteous come under the blood of Christ and the forgiving grace of Christ. But he is trying to find out and he's examined. It cannot be found out. And now the road gets darker still. Look at verse 2. It is the same for all since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked. The same event. He observes in this passage that, that life ends the same way for everybody. What he repeatedly observes in this passage is that, that 
Life is, is vain. It's brief. It's only a, a vapor. It always, it always ends in death for, for everybody, whether good or bad. And he goes through this, this long list to, to explain what happens to us, that, that there's nobody who's exempt. And so here's my proposition for you this morning. As believers in Christ, we must keep death in view so that we, we don't live life as though life only exists under the sun. As believers in Christ, we must keep death in view so that we don't live as though life only exists under the sun. We have to keep death in view. And that is not natural to us. Certainly not natural to our society. Understandably, death is not a popular topic in our culture. When someone dies, people don't like to use the word death. Instead, they, they say things like he or she passed away. Or kicked the bucket. Or bit the dust went to a better place, checked out, took a dirt nap, departed, expired, bought a one-way ticket. I mean, there's so many euphemisms that are used to avoid using the word death. The preacher is teaching us in this passage to face death, and not only face death, but to Think about it throughout our lives. Not living as though, okay, tomorrow I'm going to die. That's actually not what he's teaching. Live as this is your last day. No, he wants us to live as though there are many days, but with death in view. And while he doesn't teach us from a Christ worldview, he does have God in his sights. He wants He wisely wants us to live with death in view. And he uses this phrase, memento mori. In in other words, it's a Latin phrase is, remember that you must die. Remember that you must die. Daniel Aiken said this, living your life with this in mind is wise because it will help you not be careless with your spouse, miss out on time with your children, be indifferent at your job or other such distractions. The preacher instructs us on how to live, how to, how to live life in the face of death certainty. For many, death can render all of life's actions meaningless. For the Christian, death should render all of life's actions meaningful. And so four, four points this morning, my going beyond my typical three. Death is certain. Death is often sudden. Life is better than death. And enjoy all the days God gives you. First, death is certain. Verses two and three. It, it is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and evil, to the clean and unclean, to him who sacrifices and to him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. As he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil and madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. 
First point, death is certain. The same event happens to everyone. And, the, and he goes through this list. He goes, death happens to the righteous. Death happens to the wicked. Death happens to the good. It happens to the evil. Death occurs to the clean. Death occurs to the unclean. To him who sacrifices. To him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. Those who swear and those who shun an oath, those who don't swear, all, the same event happens to them all. Death is certain. And the reason death is a certainty is because all deserve to die. Keeping God's law through ritual washings, as we read here, sacrifices and oaths cannot keep us from Adam's curse. Death, as he says in in verse 3, is an earthly evil event that is deserved by all of us because by because Adam sinned and because Adam sinned we now everyone spiritually and physically dies because we're all children of Adam and we all sin from the moment of our birth until the moment of our death in Genesis 6 5 The writer says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Genesis 6, 5, that verse is the background to this in in verse 3 where he says, Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil and madness is in their hearts. That's what the preacher is commenting on here. He sees the history of humanity. And Romans 6.23 captures this certainty of death well. For the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. So death is a certainty. But let's move on. And if you're not thoroughly depressed, we're going further. (laughs) Number two, death is often sudden. It is often sudden. The preacher gives us another list in verses 9, 11 through 12. So drop down a little bit to 11, verse 11. Again, I saw, so the preacher's observing that under the sun, now again, he uses under the sun, I think it's eight times in this section. Under the sun. He is viewing life not from a heavenly, biblical, godly perspective, but life as just a person living on earth, living under the sun. Life on the road without God in, in, not always in view. He has God in view at times, but not always in view. So again, he says, I saw that under the sun, the race, and he gives this list. The race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor the bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge. But the time and chance happen to them all. What does he mean by time and chance? For man does not know his time. He's talking about death. Death happens to them all. The preacher gives this list to basically say, look, no one is exempt. Not the swift. Not the strong. Um, Life is unpredictable. The swiftest runner loses the race. The strongest warrior dies in battle. Goliath never thought David could beat him. 
The smartest man makes a foolish life-altering choice. And the rich can end up poor. The day of death comes suddenly without any warning. Without any warning. Yesterday, I received... It was an internet ad. And here's the... Here's the, I mean, and I was preparing this message. Will you die of a heart attack today? That was, and then it goes on to give, according to, in, according to this survey, 30,000 person study from Harvard University, and it goes on to tell me why I'm going to have a heart attack today. <laughs> but death does very often come suddenly. Heart attack, aneurysm, aggressive cancer, car accident, whatever. It's sudden. And the preacher gives us two vivid analogies in verse 12 to describe this heart-wrenching suddenness of death. He says, for man does not know his time. Like fish that are taken in an evil net, And like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of men are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. The fisherman with his net, the fowler trapping of birds, these are sudden experiences, just like death suddenly coming upon us. Douglas O'Donnell, in his commentary, said, while the children of Adam aren't gullible, ignorant creatures like fish and birds... Nevertheless, we must be aware that life is not only a vapor quickly dissolving into the air, but potentially like a candle snuffed out with a gust of wind. Who knows when it's your time to go? It might be today. It might be now. Thank you, Douglas. (laughs) In 2013, a man named Yurig Khan thought he had it all. He had just won a million dollars in the Illinois State Lottery, but died suddenly a few months later after being poisoned by his wife. (laughs) Death is often sudden. So death is certain, and it is often sudden. But then the preacher gives us a little bit of hope. Look at verses 9 Fourth, chapter 9, verses 4 through 6. Life, this is point 3, life is better than death. But he who is joined with all the living has hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. And they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy. In other words, their, whether they've been good or bad, their sinful life or whatever... It's already perished. And forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Even in a world that is that under the sun can appear to have little or no meaning, the preacher tells us here, look, being alive is better than being dead. I get it. So much so, he gives the analogy that, that being alive... Being a live mangy mutt is better than being a dead kingly lion. Now, the reason for this is this is this, listen, it, when you're alive, you still have hope. 
when you're alive, you still have hope. He says that. But he who is joined with all the living has hope. Even if you're the worst. And, and what he's talking about here is a, a, a dog. He's not talking about a domesticated household spot who we love and we let sit on the sofa with us. He's talking about the kind of dogs that I would see when I was in India. They were scavengers. They were filled with, with all sorts of grunge and ticks and fleas and, and whatever. And they'd run around and they were in wild packs. That was the dogs in Israel's day. They were like rats. They were like scavengers. And so they weren't, th- th- these weren't honorable pets. And yet, the preacher says, it's better to be that than a dead kingly lion. And I think this, wonderfully for me, this gives biblical proof that dogs are better than cats. Um, even, even big cats like lions. And listen, I just saw, I just saw on, last night on Animal Planet a show called My Cat from Hell. Now, just, and so... To be a dog, even here in ancient Israel, um, it, there's hope. Because what he's communicating is to be alive is to have hope. And as believers know, when someone is alive, the opportunity to repent exists. The opportunity to be transformed by Christ exists. The preacher knows that God exists and he has some hope in life that, 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 that life does exist after death. Remember, in, in chapter 3, verse 11, he says this. He says, he has made everything, speaking of God, beautiful in its time. Also, God, he has put eternity into man's heart. And so, if you're alive... You always have hope. At least being alive gives us days to consider our eternity, our eternal place. The the dead have no such hope at all. For the dead know nothing. They have no more reward. Their memory is forgotten. They can't love. They can't hate. They can't have envy because they have perished and they are forever no more. They have no share. The once dead dead. So the preacher's point here is this. Being alive is good. So death is certain. Death is often sudden. And being alive is good. And fourth, enjoy all the days God gives you. And that's where the preacher is leading us. He is not leaving us in this dark cave. He is not leading us continually down this dark road. But there is hope because he knows God does exist. There is, but he is telling us there is a benefit to thinking about death. Look at verses 7 through 10. Go eat your bread with joy. And drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already approved of what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you. Now, the word vain there is, again, it's the same word. It's, it's the same Hebrew word from vanity, meaning, or hebel, which simply means 
brevity, vapor. I mean, so, so all of your, your brief life is what he's talking about there under the sun because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. So whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For there is no work or thoughts or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol, in the place where people go when they die. It's not necessarily hell. It's just a other place of of not being alive, to which you are going. Listen, as a Christian, considering death will be meaningful to us if it leads us to enjoy life and live each day to the fullest. Consider death. Take it to heart so you can enjoy life. That is the preacher's main point here. Consider death. Earlier in chapter 7, the preacher tells us that it would be better to go to a funeral than to a party. Because a funeral makes you consider the frailty of your life, the finitude of your life, so that you can live wisely and you can enjoy life. And so in the face of, of death's harsh reality, the preacher goes on to give us another list, a list where we can enjoy the gift of life God has given us. In verse 7, he says, eat your bread with pleasure. Enjoy your food. Enjoy your food. Now, I think that's a strength at Grace Church. <laughs> Because I have seen on my wife's Facebook pictures of people's food all the time where they've just recently eaten. Verse 7, he goes on, drink your wine with a merry heart. Now, wine in the Bible does mean wine. And he's, but he's not talking about drunkenness there either. Drunkenness is a sin. But he is saying you can drink wine with a merry heart. Verse 8, he says, wear white, which in ancient Israel, it was festive clothing. And when, when somebody was, was sad, they would be wearing sackcloth and ashes. Here, wearing white is, is festive. So, I mean, great, enjoy the clothes you wear. Verse 8, put oil on your head, a protection against the sun. So, I mean, we're not talking about I don't think they're talking about essential oils, thank God. But I do. But because of the Middle Eastern heat and sun, people, people's skin would dry out. And so he's talking about putting oil. So, so, you know, taking care of yourself. And then verse 9, he goes on, enjoy your wife. Be her best friend. This is not only practical advice. It's a command from God. Husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church. And in verse 10, I love, he goes on, he says, look, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge. In other words, you're not going to be working after you're dead. Now, that, that may be a pleasant thought for some of you. <laughs> but here he's saying, look, God has approved of what you're doing. That was verse 7. He's already approved of these things. Work hard. Work for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10.31 Do all for the glory of God. So whatever your hand finds to do, enjoy your life and work hard at it. Because God has approved it. It's not a sin to enjoy life. 
Daniel Aiken goes on to say in his commentary, Ecclesiastes exposes us to the meaninglessness and fleeting nature of life in this cursed world for the purpose of causing us to long for something beyond the grave. It depicts in great detail the curse of sin and death. Death's tyranny makes life meaningless because if this life is all there is, then death cancels everything out. Nothing really matters. But the preacher ultimately does not believe this. Ecclesiastes does not teach annihilation. It teaches uncertainty. However, we do know something is out there because eternity is in our hearts. And that's where the rest of Romans 6.23 is helpful to us. Yes, the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, death is certain. Death is often sudden. Life, being alive is good. And enjoy all the days that God gives you. You know, in Scripture we read that what Christ has done for us, the promise is not just for eternal life. John 10.10 is also the promises for abundant life. I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. From the beginning, God meant for us to live in the the fullness of his joy, in the fullness of, of being able to eat and drink and love and work. Hence the garden. A garden that we are returning back to, so to speak. And sadly, instead of using God's gift rightly as a way to express our gratitude and worship to him, Many use their gifts in rebellious ways, in harmful ways. Food becomes gluttony. Drinking becomes drunkenness. Sex becomes adultery. Work becomes idolatry. But the good news is that Jesus Christ came to redeem us so that we again can live according to this wonderful design that we see in verses 7 through 10. He didn't die just to forgive us our sins. He, He also died and rose again to transform us transform the way we live back to his image. As disciples of Christ, we follow his example. As those who are redeemed, we can live life to the fullest, especially, my friends, when we keep death in view. Adam and Eve could never return to Eden. We will. It's called a new heaven. And a new earth. Those who are in Christ will live forever in that new creation. But now, at this time, we get to practice for this future kingdom. By enjoying life to the fullest in view of Jesus' resurrection and his triumph over death. So my question this morning is, how do you think about death? Do you think about death? Does the prospect of death cause you to be anxious? Now, I get this. Everyone it can be anxious and fearful about the unknown. There's no one in this room, there's no one I know that has died, been dead for a while, then come back and told me all about it. It just hasn't happened and it's not going to. So it's natural, it's understandable. But what Christians don't fear is what their eternal life is going to be like. They know, we know without a doubt that Christ has secured by his death, 
and his resurrection our eternity. And this, this is what allows Christians to die well. This last September, we had the most unusual week in the history of our church when we had three people die. Two who were a member of our church and one who's a member whose mother died and who had been here and visited with us. But all three were believers. Scott Hall died incredibly well. Kathy Charnley died incredibly well. Why? Because their hope was secured. Their hope was secured. Now, if you're not a believer, you have every reason to fear death. But Jesus died on the cross to take the penalty of sin, the judgment of sin, the punishment of sin, so that those who do trust in him would not fear death and the wrath of God. Now, if if you don't believe that, if you don't believe that Jesus suffered and died for your sins, death will be frightening to you. But if you look to Christ to forgive you for your sins, to be your Savior, death will will no longer be a terrifying thought. Listen, for the Christian, that song that we have sung, it is not death to die. We can rejoice even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Because it's just one step closer to God. Father, thank you that we have hope that the world we live in that is suffering under the curse, the world that we live in that constantly sees tragedy, Lord, that world is just temporary for us because Christ has come. Christ has died for our sins and we are secure and have our hope in Him. And Lord, I pray this morning for uh, this church that every person would walk out of here hopeful as they consider death because of what it means, but also hopeful as they look to enjoy the life that you have given. In Christ's name, amen.